0: let's talk about the plague of pornography for just a minute wow this is one of the biggest issues that so many deal with in these latter days but few talk about it or even know how to talk about it and when they do talk about it it's usually in a private setting with a leader who is expected to know how to navigate struggles with pornography thankfully leading saints has put together a remarkable resource called liberating saints it's a virtual library with 25 plus presentations focused on helping leaders be better prepared to help someone overcome struggles with pornography. We cover topics like how to minimize shame in the bishop's office, how to talk with children about pornography, and even how to talk about female pornography use in Relief Society. If you'd like to review the Liberating Saints library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14 slash one four. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership-related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit LeadingSaints.org slash 14. So my name is Kurt Francom, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of an of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called how I lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book that should be behind a PhD. They're uh, they're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy is doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so we publish these How I Lead segments to share. And today I'm excited to have Theron Anderson on the podcast from Sacramento, California, at least just outside of Sacramento in uh, Dixon, California. And he talks about his approach to being an Elder Scorn president. I, and I loved getting this recommendation. I should give a shout out to Douglas Halliwell, uh, obviously from Theron's Elder Scorn. He emailed me a while back and said, hey, our Elder Scorn president's name is Theron Anderson. He's quite a character. Anyway... I thought you might like to talk to him and see if he'd be a good candidate for one of your How I Lead as Elders Quorum President interviews. As I said, he's got a beard like the early prophets, and a man can discuss his quorum and turn a phrase. Let me know if you'd like his contact information. And I replied back to Doug and said, yes, let's do this, Doug. And he got me in touch with Theron, and it turned out to be a great interview. So how about we listen to it? Here is my How I Lead interview with Theron Anderson. to one of my favorite places in the world, and that is the area of Sacramento, California, where I uh, serve my mission with Theron Anderson. How are you? I'm good, Kurt. How are you? Good. Now, I didn't, I didn't serve my mission with Theron, but I am currently with Theron. Anyways, I don't want people to get confused here. So how long have you been in SAC town, Theron? Uh, 27 years. I came home from my mission uh,
1: to Dixon um, in 96. So, yeah, that's oh, about wow. 27 years, I think.
0: Cool. And uh, where did you serve your mission? Hong Kong. Oh wow. Very yeah. cool. So it was that Mandarin or what did you speak there?
1: No, it was Cantonese, but mostly Canadians. I spoke yeah. yeah, mostly I spoke English. It's a lot of bi- and trilingual areas, but I mostly spoke English. Did did speak a lot of Cantonese, but uh, predominantly spoke cool. English
0: for my mission. And uh, I'm willing to bet you didn't have that long beard on your mission. But. No, it was much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Very cool. And um, I guess, how long have you been aware of leading saints?
1: Uh, three and a half years or so. Okay. Nice. I, I was right, right after I was called to be elders quorum president, uh, I think my bishop may have turned me on to you guys. And, uh, and I was feeling super overwhelmed with my calling thought, this is not, the right fit for me and, uh, and listen to some of your podcasts and thought, okay, with instruction like you have, and with the thoughts from other people, I think I can pull this off as long as I just pay attention to what everybody else does.
0: <laughs> nice. And you mentioned before we hit record that it some of the contents really impacted you and helped you like any stories or experiences come to mind to articulate that.
1: Well, yeah, two of them actually. So one of them, uh, you were interviewing somebody, uh, and we're talking about Uh, mental health issues. And and when somebody goes to the bishop and has mental health issues, you know, often our answer has always been in the past that you need to pray and fast and read your scriptures and everything's going to be fine. But if somebody was to walk into the bishop's office with a broken arm and you could clearly see it was broken, you wouldn't say, oh, you just need to pray and fast more. And that arm will heal itself. And so the, the concept was that we need to help people find professional help. We're not doctors and we're not medics to get these people to professional help uh, when they come to us with mental health issues or with or with uh, other things that are more spiritual spiritual is not the right word, but you know, mental illnesses. Uh, and that was really good. And then I have a, I have a daughter who um, was institutionalized for having an actual suicide plan and, oh, wow. uh, and listening to, um, uh, listening to that podcast and really helping me understand that mental illness is a real thing and that I couldn't just tell her to have more faith and to, uh, you know, to pray more and the spirit will come to her and she'll be fine. It was, it really helped me push past that, get her into some real medical help and, uh, and has changed her life because we, we're able to see that I don't have the answers. I'm just a dad. I'm just a carpenter. And and we got other help. And then the other one that I really, really liked, you were talking to a new bishop who had ADD and he was talking about uh, his scripture study and how scripture study doesn't have to be reading verse after verse and plying through the index. He was talking about how he gets off about Nephi footwear, about how they would walk three days journey as a Nephite. And he talked about the footwear and he's doing research on ancient American footwear. And it really helped me kind of focus on study rather than just reading, you know, and really making it personal to me.
0: Oh, I love that. Very cool. So uh, put yourself in the context a little bit. What do you do for work? I'm a general
1: building contractor. I do custom remodels and additions in the area. Nice. So
0: you are swamped with work. Is that what I hear?
1: <laughs> that is absolutely true. I am. I am insanely busy, which is a huge blessing. I know there's plenty of people who don't have work and the Lord's been kind to me and blessing me with a lot of contacts and a lot of work. Yeah, I'm busy.
0: Nice. And uh, and how many kids do you have?
1: Three daughters. They're 20 I'm going to get this wrong so I hope this doesn't go on record. They're 20, uh, 23, 20 and just turned 18 yesterday.
0: Awesome. How would you describe the uh, just the characteristics of your ward, how it's laid out or the you know just how it's built up?
1: We have a we have a stinking good ward. That's one of the reasons I've stayed in Dixon for so long. Uh, so we're we're uh, kind of a bedroom community, so we've got a lot of people that commute to work, a lot of military families and so our ward right now is a little on the younger side. Uh, I'm almost 50, and I'm hitting kind of the upper echelon of age. We've got some senior citizens, but it's not the bulk. So we've got a lot of young families, a lot of working. Uh, working dads that commute to San Francisco or to Sacramento. And because of that, we've got a huge range of income levels and education levels. We've got everybody from guys who have a private jet all the way down to people who are on uh, food stamps for for help. And our wow. ward's really been really pretty neat because in our ward, we don't seem to have the clicks that I've experienced in other wards. We don't have the echelon of, of rating systems, of caste systems, where everybody hangs out with everybody. We all talk to each other after quorum meetings or sacrament. There's a big hubbub in the four years where we all stand around and chat and laugh about our kids and um, laugh at each other's cars. Uh, and it's, it's, so it's a really welcoming place to, to where I feel like, um, if, if anybody was to walk into our building, they feel at home there because we have a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah. yeah. And is there any, uh, intentional action that's been taken to stimulate that? Or is it maybe just, uh, the stars have aligned a little bit, the type of people in your ward, or is there anything specific you've done or your ward has done to create that, uh, that unity?
1: I think a lot of it's the stars of a line, just some good people with, uh, with open hearts. Uh, You know, uh, uh, in the 27 years I've been in the ward, there has been a lot of focus on working with each other and helping each other. Uh, You know, when, when there's a need in the ward and we don't try to sweep it under the carpet and hush, hush it and just let a couple of people know it's pretty open that somebody needs help with cars or money or uh, you you know, uh, cleaning their house or whatever it is. And, And the ward's pretty good about jumping on it. So I think with that, mentality of service where we see each other as equals and we can go out and serve each other no matter what the need is. It's really built a yeah. lot of good friendships. That's cool.
0: Now, yeah. do you consider yourself, um, maybe a, atypical leader that, I mean, not to judge you on your appearance or anything, but I think, you know, there's a stigma of beards in our, in our, uh, faith tradition. Right. And you got a nice yeah. long beard and, and which <laughs> it looks awesome. Right. Probably takes a Thank lot you. of upkeep to do that. But do you feel like, uh, I mean, did you, did, did, did you feel like this calling was, was coming to you, uh, to be the elders quorum president or did you feel like, Oh, that's for the the clean cut white shirt and tie guys. A little bit of both. Uh, I knew something was coming, uh, a couple of conferences prior to my calling. I had had some
1: inclinations to start paying attention to some of this stuff. I was a scout master prior to this. And in my, in my years prior to elders quorum, I've worked with the youth almost exclusively taught seminary was a young men's president, t- uh, was a quorum advisor, all three different young men's quorums. Um, did a lot of stuff like that. Very seldom was I out of the youth program. Uh-huh. But the spirit says to me, you need to start paying attention to this old man stuff, as I call it. And so I kind of had an inclination. There was a change coming and I knew there was a change coming in our ward where there uh, we were getting a new bishop and there was going to be a shakeup. So I um, I kind of knew it was coming. But at the same time, Kurt, I ride a motorcycle to church every Sunday and my helmet has skulls on it. Um, and I ride it to state priesthood leadership meetings in my beard. It does hang out. I don't know if you can see all the way down.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. But it hangs out the jazzed, bottom of my yeah. helmet.
1: <laughs> so... It, um, and, I, and I'm a construction worker and I, you know, I'd I, I, I look like this except for when I'm the three hours at church. I i don't dress up and I don't use the right words. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. feel like I belong in the calling. And, and so am I a typical leader? No, I don't fit the mold. And when I go to stake priest, priesthood leadership meetings and whatnot, there is always the comment about the beard and how that's kind of crazy. But at the same time, I feel really good when I can go to members in our board who have walked a different life and I look a little different uh, and and I can make them feel comfortable as an oldest born president looking different. I don't say grow a beard or get a tattoo or drive a motorcycle just so you can help other people feel comfortable. That's not the design. God made us the sons of God and us playing small to make others comfortable doesn't fill our work. But if we do look different, there is a place in the kingdom for
0: us. Yeah. And it really is about being yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and showing up who you are and how you are. And obviously we all are, are striving to be better, but uh, when it comes to personality and likes and uh, you know, just be yourself. Right? Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I, am a big fan of Ecclesiastes. You know, there's a time and a season for everything on Sundays. I'm, I, I, uh, I should speak better words all week, but I speak better words on Sunday and I'm a little more spiritually minded. And on on the weekdays, I do tear around on my motorcycle and I throw rocks at the dog and I, uh, you know, I shoot my guns and I eat with my fingers and all the things that are kind of a little bit more uh, lowbrow. But I still in the back of my mind, I'm still a son of God and a spiritual person. So I I think it's okay to to have a little bit of both.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I, I imagine the elders in your quorum feel like they're they're getting the, the real Theron, you know? And They do, yeah. And, and that's who they want, you know? So, yeah. um, What do you remember? So how long has it been now since you've been the Elders Quorum president? Three and a half years. Oh, wow. Okay. So a good amount of time. Do you remember just from at the beginning, um, like starting in this calling, how you approached it, whether it's picking counselors or starting, the, you know, to, to lead elders corps meetings or what, what comes to mind when you, you know, began in this calling?
1: Uh, extraordinarily overwhelmed. I think like everybody is. Yeah. And so my first contact, uh, it was funny. The state president called me. He, it was over the phone. We didn't even meet in person. And he said, uh, I need you to do this. Do you accept And I said, yes. What do I do? And he says, I don't know. Read the handbook and the Lord will tell you the rest. We'll be in touch. (laughs) And so I went straight to the handbook and started reading the handbook like crazy just to get kind of the gist of things, right? To figure out what I wasn't supposed to do. And then a lot of conference talks is that was not too long after they changed the the way that the bishop's responsibilities work with the elders quorum's responsibilities. I changed that in October, 2018 started at January, 2019. And I was put in six months later in June. So things were still kind of in flux. Uh, So I did a lot of handbook reading, a lot of podcasts, a lot of praying. And, and then the thought that kept coming to me was that the Lord has put me where I am because of who I am. And I need to be like you said, true to me, but, but not in a way that I put the Lord off to the side, true to me. And, in who I am as a son of God. And so uh, I just decided that what I needed to do was to be me and to let me as a person who has I a, a, I don't, you know, you sound like you brag when you say an unshakable faith. I've, I've walked a road that's been filled with holes and potholes and have a personal relationship with my savior, Jesus Christ. I know who he is and I love him and, and all things. He has been by my side. Second Nephi 419 is my mantra that nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. And so when it came to my calling, I thought, you know, if I can just go to one individual and share that faith that I have with one individual who's languishing in any way and take them by the hand and walk with them and and not worry about President Anderson, but just be Theron and take that one person with my arm around them and help them find some of the balm of Gilead in one way or another, then I would do fine in my calling. And so that's what I did. It's just been a personal a personal ministry to people in my warden, in my quorum and forget the the facade of the calling, forget the, you know, all the facets of administration. I'm just me using my testimony and my keys and my gifts that God gave me to help people individually come find Christ.
0: Yeah. I love that. Very good. And, um, I, you sent me some, some principles here as, as we do on these, how I lead interviews. Uh, I asked you to maybe think about a handful of principles that, that, uh, help you in your, in your leadership role. And the first one being the culture of ministering, uh expound on that
1: so i uh that's like that that's like my my battle cry with elders quorum i think that uh we have our ministering assignments and if we look at ministering like hey, i go out like we did with home teaching i'm going to go visit these families once a quarter take them a piece of banana bread uh honk when we drive by and then offer them a blessing when somebody's dying i think we miss the point of what the savior would want i i often reflect on the story of um of the woman who had the issue of blood and she was the savior was walking through the crowd and he was being bounced around. He had his 12 apostles around him and they were banging off of him and the crowd was noisy and there was a lot of stuff going on. It was a busy downtown city. And uh, when she touched his robe, he stopped in that very moment. Right. And, and he ministered to what her need was. And he says, who touched me? And his apostles were like, well, you're crazy. We all did. Uh, and, and he took that minute. He was in the moment and it was very personal to her. And so my hope with ministering in my ward and with the people I work with is not to have an assignment that we have to fill a box to check and not even Yes, we focus on the families we're assigned to, but to have a culture to where ministering comes natural. If you see somebody hurting in any way, regardless if it's in your calling, not in your calling, with your assignment, without your assignment, you stop and you offer whatever it is. Sometimes we don't have anything to offer. All we can offer is a smile and a hug and say, I'm really sorry you're going through that. You know, I'll pray for you. Sometimes that's it. But other times we can do things. We can go change a plug in somebody's house or we can clean their gutters or we can mow their lawn or, uh, you know, just little things, big things. It doesn't matter. But to be somebody that acts the way the Savior would act in that moment to stop and to minister, to show the love of Christ in a way that um, that he would do if he was here himself.
0: Yeah. Anything you do, um, like, in, in the actual quorum meeting, does, it, does ministering come up? Is that a message that you're just perpetuating? Or is it anything with, uh, you know, ministering interviews that come to mind? Just sort of the how you move ministering forward in your quorum.
1: Yes. All the above. We, we, we hammer it at, at the beginning of every core meeting, there's always some thought from me or one of my counselors on ministering. Um, If there's, I know that there's ministering that's been done behind the scenes that somebody doesn't know that I know about, or kind of a a good, a good deed for free. I sometimes will reference those without using names or specifics, but just give the shout out that say something good has happened in our ward. Uh, uh, We teach lessons on it. And then ministering interviews, I really feel like is the biggest thing. I make sure that every single Sunday, after church, I meet with at least two, sometimes three different members of my quorum in a ministering interview. And then usually one other night a week, Tuesdays or Wednesdays or Thursdays, I'll meet with two or three more. So I have a chance every quarter to meet with as many men as I can. And in those interviews, I don't needle them and poke them in the chest. Did you do your ministering? What's the needs? Uh, (laughs) It's more of a chance for me to minister to them and to let them know that they're loved and to appreciate whatever, even if it's just as finite step that they've taken in ministering to congratulate them, let them know that the Lord appreciates their service and to help them build on that small step into being better and better ministers. But I I think the ministering interviews, I I feel like that's where the greatest good is done. Just spending time with them and telling them they can do it. And then answering questions. They feel like, do I have to give a monthly message or, you know, or or they have a concern they don't know what to deal with. Hey, I have a family that the husband and wife are at each other's throats. What do I do? And, uh, you know, we can give them counsel and guidance and, and, and help them with that. So that's
0: what I do. Yeah. And do you share the, the interviewing responsibilities with your counselors? Absolutely. Okay. And so if I was your brand new counselor and and how would you, uh, coach me on doing my first ministering interview?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. I would, uh, I would, (laughs) I would say in a 30 minute interview, you spend five minutes talking about the families that they've ministered to and the needs that they have and spend the other 25 minutes talking about the individual, about i am I ministering, not, not the person I'm ministering to, but the person I have sitting in front of me. Spend yeah. 25 minutes going, talking about their family, about their job, about what they're dealing with in their life, um, any concerns that they have in their heart and spend time ministering to them. Because in that act of ministering to that person, I think the spirit will be strong enough to help them find answers that they need to deal with their ministering brothers. Plus, give them the the encouragement they need to go out and do it. If they feel good about what we did this time, they're going to want to come back three months later for another interview. And we can build a little bit more on that.
0: Yeah. Anything do you handle as far as uh, adjustments to the the ministering or or maybe your board is pretty established? You don't have a lot of move ins or moves out. So that's uh, disrupting that. But how do you handle the actual organization and assignments of the ministry. That
1: is a thorn in my side. We have move in and move outs every month. And I feel like that's
0: all I ever do
1: on my weeknights is figure out ministering. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So I I just, um, I don't have a good answer for that. I sit and I ponder on them. I pull them up on my phone and I'll think about them and I'll thumb them through and try them in a few different spots and see what finally feels right. Wait for revelation. Uh, And sometimes it takes a couple of months and sometimes it happens right away. Uh, I often will ask my ministering brothers, my assignments, if they feel overwhelmed, if they don't feel overwhelmed, then it leaves me an option to throw one more family on them. If they're feeling overwhelmed, I'll take one off or not give them any more. But yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a great formula other than just time on the water, man, just sit there and ponder, ponder, <laughs> ponder. And I'm confident that the Lord will speak to me sooner or later.
0: Yeah. I love that. And what an interesting, like, uh, and this will feed into your next principle as well. But, um, I remember it back in 2000. When I was an Elderscorn president, you know, I had to like get in my car, drive to the clerk's office and then, you know, pull up the system and, and then print them out and those things. And now everything's connected. Uh, and I re- can't remember, it's been a few years since I've been the Elderscorn president, but you can make all those assignments directly from your phone then?
1: Yeah. Right from, right from the tools app, the the member tool app. app. Yeah. 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 It's so, yeah, I can, if I'm stuck in traffic, I'm the passenger man, I pull out my phone and I can come through those (laughs) and check them out and check off interviews and make calls and and it's insane how easy it is.
0: Yeah. And, and so that's like an interesting dynamic of like, it's not this like before, you know, it's almost felt like this ritualistic like process. I'm going to the church. I am going to sit down in this quiet room and I'm going to ponder where this is like, you know, I'm, sort of have some downtime. I'm just thinking about this person, you know, who are they assigned to? Like, Oh man, that could be a change that we could really look at. Right. And and then, yeah. and then you're moving on to the next thing, right. Or, you know, the the doctors are ready for your, for you to come back or whatever it is. Right. It's ex- and, exactly. Uh, it's just this constant, you know, you're just maybe tinkering here and there and, uh, but, and doing it prayerful, but, you know, sitting on the water, like you said, like just being in a, a place of, pondering while you do this. Yeah,
1: my job's really cool because there's there's days I really have to think about what I'm doing, but there's some days where it's just muscle memory. I was hanging cabinets at a house in Napa. Uh, Hanging cabinets takes a little bit of thought, but the trim, there's no thought. I've done it so many times that my brain has a chance to wander. So it's not uncommon for me to pull up some assignments, think about them, And while I'm cutting trim or moving concrete or doing something like that, my mind is that's really where it is. It's not on work. I shouldn't say that because I don't have clients call me like, I don't want you to do my house now if you're not thinking about it. (laughs) But but it really does. It frees me up. And it reminds me of that scripture that talks about when you're not praying to have your heart full drawn out in prayer and, you know, and everywhere you go. And so that's the way it works for me is I'm constantly thinking about my calling, constantly thinking about how I can help these men. Uh, reach out better or feel like they're being reached out to. Because another problem we have with ministering is that I feel like to minister, I'm going to take a loaf of bread to somebody, but the other person doesn't want a loaf of bread. What they want is they want me to come over and shoot guns with them or watch a football game. And so I've got to figure out how to help my men and my quorum, not minister to a way that is meaningful to them, but minister to the way that is meaningful to the person receiving the ministering. And that's where a lot of my thought goes to is, is how can I help bridge that gap between what is given and what is received so that the receiver feels as blessed as the giver.
0: Yeah. That's powerful. Um, all right. The next principle is the changing church of today that this isn't my church, my father's church from the seventies. I, I love this. So what, where's a good jumping off point for this?
1: Do you remember that commercial that was, uh, it was an Oldsmobile or Cadillac commercial. that said, this isn't your daddy's Cadillac or something, oh, yeah. something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So my dad was a Bishop in the seventies uh, down in Concord down in the Bay area. And, uh, and he, he was the white shirt. My dad was, a was a a PhD in business administration. So he was a pressed white shirt, totally clean shaven. Um, Everything was clean. His nails were trimmed and he wore the wingtips. He was always just spotless and perfect. And that's what was expected of him as a bishop and of young men passing sacrament. I remember being a deacon and I showed up without a necktie and they weren't going to let me pass the sacrament. And, And now... While that is a gold standard, that's not the same kind of requirement. We have a young man in our ward that showed up that it's hard to get him there. He showed up, was worthy to participate. And the bishop said, yeah, go ahead and pass the sacrament. And he was wearing blue jeans and a checkered flannel. And yeah. it was different. It took a little bit of change, uh-huh. but it's not the same church it was in the 70s. In the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s, it was much more structured. We needed different rules and guidelines because that was where our personalities were. In the In the generation we have today, in the day and age we have today, it's not so much about the stringent fence laws uh, about the pharisaical observances. It's about where your heart is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But we still have people that are stuck in that, that day and age of, you know, I, I do, I do get the looks. I, I have, my wedding ring is tattooed on because of what I do. And so I'll go oh, visit wow. somebody who's less active and I have my beard and I, and I don't go after work because I look like a homeless guy or am I like going to rob you right now? <laughs> but after church where I've got my uniform on, my white shirt and my tie and, and, and what I have, I go on knock on doors for less actives or part member families. And and I have gotten comments on, oh, you know, I didn't know you could have a tattoo and serve in the church. Well, yeah, you can. So <laughs> I I, uh, I don't know. My point with that is I think it's important for us to recognize that what we're really after today is not fair sake observances, not the hard line of proper improper, but the whole um, spectrum of people who come to the church and can be full partakers of the gospel of Jesus Christ that were different from what it was 25 years ago. It's a different church. We do things differently now than we did 25 years ago.
0: Yeah. You know, tradition is such a double-edged sword, right? That oh. you know, a lot of the time tradition it's, you know, I can go down the list of traditions that I just love and cherish in our, our faith. Um, but then there's others that sort of, you know, they're hard to get rid of and, and, a lot of people sometimes put them on the list of, no, I like that tradition. You know, I, I think that i like that the bishop's clean cut. I think he should be, I think he needs to set an example. Right. And they'll right. sort of hold on to that. But then, uh, at the same time, it can make people feel like, Oh, they do. Th- th- these aren't my people and we don't want ever anybody to ever feel like these aren't their people. You know, we, we right. want to be their people.
1: I agree, a hundred percent. You know, and this this weekend is a classic example of those traditions. I mean, this is General Conference weekend. I'm at the grocery store when I'm done with you. I'm going to go in and buy the stuff to make wontons and monkey bread and all the things oh, we do around General Conference. Yeah, I'm already I hungry. Gotta get over, about.
0: man. I'll, it's a it's a <laughs> nine hour drive. I could probably make the first session. Anyway. No problem. We'll have it ready for you, man. And so,
1: and so, this is one of those traditions. It's a wonderful. It's electric in the air. Everybody's excited for conference. Uh, And that's a good tradition. But you're right. There are traditions that we hang on to because there are pet traditions that um, I think the Savior would be disappointed in some. I think he's proud of some of them. But I think we really need to take a hard look at what those traditions are and say, does this tradition really help me align with my personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Or does this just satisfy some vain ambition uh, that makes me feel like I'm a better observer of the gospel because I do this, because I do that?
0: Yeah. And if yeah. you ask Joseph F. Smith, your beard is very traditional.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> We'll see if we can bring it back. I haven't got a call from right. the brethren
0: yet. <laughs> Love it. All right. The, the last principle you have here is the atonement is an extraordinary personal event. Uh, expound on on that. Uh, I'll get in
1: trouble for saying so, but I don't believe that Jesus Christ came to save all mankind. I okay. think that Jesus Christ came to save all mankind one individual at a time. Hmm. And and that it is extraordinarily personal that the, what the atonement looks like to me, uh, how it affects my heart, how it pings in my soul is very different from my wife, who is a super amazing woman I love and adore. And if she applies the atonement, it looks so much different to her. The gaps that it fills for her, the pains that it subdues, the, uh, the, the the wrongs that it has covered over is very different for her. And so when I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prays and he begs for angels to come and minister to him, and he begs for the help from his apostles that are in the garden with him, uh, the pains that he suffered, if any one person was to write an essay or to draw a picture of what those pains were, were and felt like it would be different 8 billion times for every 8 billion people that are on this world and so when we apply the atonement in my life i can't say i cannot say to a person that i'm working with a person that i'm counseling with that this is what the atonement is this is what it will do for you i i'm really cautious to not say that what i try to do is help people discover that atonement for themselves because what pain it helps It's so different. I mentioned my daughter who uh, was struggling with mental health and the pain that I felt while she was institutionalized is not a pain that very many people will hopefully ever feel, but it was a pain that was very keen to me. And in the moment of that pain, as the spirit came to me and comforted me in my garden, it was so personal and it was so intimate that I can never assign that to somebody else. That was my atonement. That was my time when I've made my mistakes and I've been through the repentance process and I felt that weight lifted off my shoulders. That was my atonement. When my wife did the same thing, when she repents or when she feels those pains and she has those covered, it's very unique and personal. So I I fear that sometimes people come to church and they look for this broad answer, this beach ball of an answer that the atonement is this big thing that covers everything and it's going to be universal and we're all going to be swept up into the arms of Jesus in the same fashion. And it's not that we need to look for an intimate relationship. I really feel like if we were to break the gospel down and get rid of all the stuff, all the aggregate things that have gathered around it and get to the very small seed, I think the most important thing for us to cultivate in this life is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to accept him as our healer as our savior. And then all the other things that come around it, they're super important. The temple is super important. And missionary work is super important. And ministering is super important. But if we go around and do all the things that we do, and we never develop a personal understanding, know what the savior looks like, know what his hands feel like when he's holding our hand, when we know what his voice sounds like, when we're crying on his shoulder and he whispers to us, it will be okay. If we don't know what that feels like, I think we've missed a boat somewhere.
0: There and preach, preach it brother. Love it. Oh, man, And isn't that true? Like, obviously, we have we, we frame the atonement of Jesus Christ in so many different ways. Um, and, and sometimes we want to articulate the magnitude of it, that that it is enormous, that it's this grand event, this this thing that the Savior did for us. And so we use, you know, we frame it as the infinite atonement. Right. But sometimes that misses the individual atonement that we yeah. all get as a, in, in a, in a, relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I just love that. Just love that. Um, before we wrap up there and what I always like to ask, like any, any certain like technology or apps or fun, easy routines, more practical stuff that maybe your presidency uses, your quorum, anything come to mind as far as things that help you get your, your calling done?
1: I am such a Luddite. You are asking the wrong man. <laughs> I, uh, I swing a hammer for a living. I don't do tech. <laughs> All right. So, uh, the, the one thing, I mean, we, we email, I've got a guy in my presidency, who's uh, a a man that I love and cherish and adore, and he's pushing 80. And so for him, email is a complicated thing. And then I've got a, I've got another young man who we just called as my secretary, who's in his early thirties. And that's all he does is tech. And so the gap in my presidency is pretty big. And so I've just found (laughs) it's the personal, personal connections. I'm a I'm a touch and feel kind of guy. So for me, for my presidency and for everything that I do in my calling, the way I try to do it is a one-on-one, a personal thing. So I do make a lot of phone calls. Um, boy, I grab a lot of people. If you're walking through the grocery store and you see me dive behind the chips, because I'm going to grab you and say, hi, how you doing? And just touch bases on a couple of things and network personally like that. That's, um, I'm super old fashioned.
0: Love it. Wow. Um, ain't nothing wrong with, uh, with the keeping it simple and, uh, you know, some, some things from the 1970s, uh, we should keep doing and That's like <laughs> making a phone call, you know, yeah, sometimes right. I catch myself, uh, wh- when I need to contact somebody, I catch myself like texting them, asking permission if I can call them. I'm like, what am I doing? Just call the person. And if they're available, they'll pick up, you know? yeah, Exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, well, Theron, thanks uh, so much for, for sharing your perspective. Um, again, uh, give, give my love to Sacramento. I need to figure out more and more reasons to come out there. It is, it is Holy land to me as I'm sure uh, Hong Kong is to you. Um, And I love that place. And before we wrap up, last question I have for you is, uh, just reflecting on your time as a leader in the church, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ?
1: Oh, holy cow. Uh, you have kids. I assume Kurt. I do. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when your uh, kid um, colors on the wall or dumps paint on the carpet, right? You go to him and you start going after him. You say, I can't believe you would do that. And don't you know the rules? And every time I've done that with my kids in the back of my head, I could hear Jesus John the same words at me for all the stupid things I've done in my life. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you went there. And so as my leader, my leader in the church, when I go to somebody and somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, I can't, I can't pay my water bill. And I have to look at their finances and say, well, yeah, you can't pay your water bill because you just got five new tattoos. That was three grand. And I start to wanna to go down the road of pointing my finger and saying, well, if you weren't so dumb, then it wouldn't be so bad. But then I hear Jesus in my background saying, yeah, Theron, if you weren't so dumb, you wouldn't have needed so much help with the atonement. And so it helps me scale back and, and look at somebody and say, okay, maybe this is the best they can do. I need to have patience, love, long suffering and give them the soft answer, put my arms around them and, uh, and do what the Savior would do to me, which is heal their agonies and help them find a better path.
0: See if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. And there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to access our full Liberating Saints virtual library.